Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. You know, what struck me as weird about yesterday's basketball games is that we had this big Tuesday card, an extremely and unusually large, frankly, Tuesday card, where I didn't feel like almost any big rest of season or even medium term fantasy stuff popped up out of the Tuesday after we had a Monday where a bunch of things emerged. You just sort of never know which card or which game is going to have the big fantasy impact. You just never know. Not well. Anywho, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Dan Baspers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I hope you guys will, as usual, find me on Twitter over at Dan Bespris. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. SportsEthos.com, the website, Ethos Fantasy BK, and Ethos Fantasy BB. I'm trying to get you guys to go check out our baseball stuff, which is super rad. Super rad baseball stuff. We got a baseball draft guide out now. That's at SportsEthos.com. Go get yourself one. I know somebody listening to this show plays fantasy baseball. $5.99. If you can find a cheaper fantasy baseball draft guide out there, I'd be positively floored. But we got a big Tuesday to dive in, so I don't want to mess around for too long. Let's just go ahead and get started on that. Toronto beat Chicago. Uh, Raptors have suddenly started playing defense. Not surprisingly, they got a guy who can play defense, and then they're able to kind of anchor themselves to him, and that, of course, is Jakob Pertl. Raptors have won eight of their last ten ball games. They've been markedly better. Not all of those have been with Pertl. I think only the last, like, five or something like that. They've been markedly better with him. Raptors are up to the nine seed in the Eastern Conference now. Hard charging, and they are a mere game away from jumping into a home court situation in the play-in tournament. They'll have their hands full to try to get out of it. Nets are four games ahead of the Raps, but they're feeling better about themselves right now. And we got our first look at Toronto at mostly healthy. In that uh, Freddie Van Fleet was back. He wasn't good, but he was back. And it moved Gary Trent to the bench, as I said it likely would here on the podcast. And Trent was still very good. Got 13 shots up. Hit five three-pointers, 19 points, couple of steals. Pirtle continued to start. His minutes were a little bit lower in this one, Pirtle's were. But nothing to worry about. He still had five defensive stats. Jakob's going to dunk on people the rest of the way. And for Chicago, they lost their first game since they signed Patrick Beverly. Which, you know, they still played defense, though. Just turned the ball over way too many times. 19-11, to 11, they lost the turnover battle. They committed 19. You catch my drift. No fantasy stuff on the Chicago side. Shuffling along. Here we go. Washington beat Atlanta on the road. Quinn Snyder's debut for the Hawks didn't go according to plan. This was a relatively clean ball game. Wizards just shot it a tiny bit better and rebounded a tiny bit better. And that was the ball game. A couple things to pick up on here. Number one... If you're looking at the Wizards' side, well, no Kristaps Porzingis. They won anyway. Daniel Gafford is a monster at center when Porzingis is out. I put something out on social media about this. Again, that's over at Dan Bespris. But when Porzingis is resting or hurt or whatever it turns out to be, Gafford posts possible top 50 type of ball games. 
That's not to be conflated with the idea of him being a top 50 fantasy play, but he is a potential top 50 stream for the next, I don't know, game or two. I think Porzingis is probably back by next week. I guess I don't really know for sure, but he was doubtful going to the last ball game. A lot of times there's a steady progression depending on, I mean, we're talking about yesterday was Tuesday, so you still have like another almost full week to get to Monday of next week. But still, I mean, if you get two more games at a gaffer tomorrow and Saturday this week, that's well worth it. Dude has, in his two games so far, filling in for Porzingis uh, over the, the weekend and then yesterday, Gafford has 28 points, 23 rebounds, three steals, four blocks, and he's shooting 12 out of 15. Yes. Yes. That's 80%. 80% and three and a half defensive stats per ball game. Yeah, he's a bit over his head with that stuff, but, you know, 14 points, 11 and a half rebounds, really high field goal percent. That's not out of the realm of possibility here for the next couple of ball games as well. So I love the Gafford thing. Monte Morris being out is, uh, I would argue, a tiny bit more confusing almost because you're seeing DeLon Wright pick up these big starters minutes but then kind of do nothing with them. And you could make, a, I think, a pretty reasonable argument that DeLon Wright's been better running the bench unit than he has playing alongside Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma and just getting nothing to do. I mean, Beal and Kuzma took 56 of the Wizards' 97 shots in this ballgame. They went nine deep, and two of those nine players took 56 out of the 97 shots. That's crazy. But again, this is what, like, DeLon Wright, four shots in 31 minutes. It was the lowest usage rate of anybody on the team. Still got some assists. He did get a block. No steals, which is kind of weird for Wright. But, yeah, they put him on Trey Young and... Trey had a pretty good ball game. I don't know, but however you want to sh sort of color this one in. But either way, DeLon's a hold. Gafford's a mega stream. And then if we're looking at the Atlanta side to try to figure out anything we can learn from Quinn Snyder in game one, with the very large note corollary that it is one game under a new head coach who very badly wanted to win his first game as the Hawks head coach, he played his starters pretty damn heavy minutes. Clint Capella in particular was a big one. I don't, honestly, I don't remember the last time Capella played the 35 minutes in a ball game. I'm sure it happened at some point this year. It's not like the most anomalous occurrence, but that was not a number that Nate McMillan was letting Capella get to very often. Clint had a 36 minute game on January the 23rd. That was the last time he even cleared 30 minutes in a ball game. Again, he did plenty of 30-minute games under McMillan, but this 35-minute show was, I believe, the second-highest minute total for Capella all season, just to that one game in January. Which, by the way, uh, in that one, he was dealing with... That game in January, he was dealing with Nik Nikola Vucevic. In this one, uh, he was dealing with Gafford. So... What's the takeaway here? I wouldn't read too much into it. Okongo had five fouls in 13 minutes. That obviously sliced into his possible playing time. If you have Okongwu, who had been playing really well, you hold. Because it is just one bad game. It's just one. 
John Collins just 10 and 4. I I thought he would ramp up after the trade deadline. I don't know what this coaching change does to him. You're holding on Collins. He was a guy we faded on draft night on this podcast. Uh, just with DeJounte Murray coming in, it just felt like that was going to minimize him even further, and it has. And now Sadiq Bey coming in has an opportunity to minimize Collins even beyond that. Still, I'd be surprised, just given the fact that Collins is a good, he's good at both percentages. He gets some blocks, some steals, some rebounds, some points. He's just too slightly above average in too many categories to completely fall off the map. But I think it's going to be kind of a slog. And then as far as Sadiq Bey goes, I know he had a better ball game here. He had four three-pointers that kind of floated his value a little bit. To me, this is maybe one of the better case scenarios for him. So he's not a guy that I'm diving into very much. Milwaukee beat Brooklyn. Zero surprises at all on the Nets side. Uh, Cam Thomas still got 23 minutes, which generally is going to be about enough for him. He just missed everything. 0 for 7 from the field. I don't want to act like I think he's in for a really good ending. We've been sort of, as Cam Thomas goes, we've been kind of just calling him a hold and wait and see to see what his role turns out to be. And it seems like he's going to be a bench gunner for the Nets, which on many evenings is going to be a necessary commodity. I think he makes more sense on the head-to-head side because he doesn't really have a roto-friendly game anyway. And I think if you have him on the head-to-head side, this is not the game you look at and you think, oh, well, I should drop him right now because he he went over. What about Milwaukee? Uh, they had everybody, really, in this one. And they didn't need everybody. They were able to kind of wipe the floor with Brooklyn early so the starters didn't have to play that many minutes. Chris Middleton only 23, but he did post a good line anyway. The only thing to take away on the Milwaukee side is now that guys seem to be getting right, what's everybody's job? Bobby Portis only played 16 minutes in this one. Jay Crowder only 16 minutes in this one. Pat Connaughton was back up to 22 as the starting wing. If you want to call it, I guess he's sort of filling in for Chris Middleton there, but doesn't, I mean, you move bodies around. If Middleton ever gets into the starting lineup, I have no idea. I assume they'll bench Connaughton, but I don't know. It could be Grayson Allen that hits the pine. Either way, none of these guys is a fantasy value when the team is fully healthy. They might rest half of them tonight, in which case then you do look at a guy like Grayson Allen or a guy like Pat Connaughton or, frankly, Bobby Portis because they'll probably need a little bit more offense. We don't know who's playing. There are five guys on the Bucks listed as maybe resting for tonight. So we'll see. But if you're trying to make calls on deeper leagues, which, you know, this is actually a problem that I'm running into personally right now. I have Pat Connaughton and Jay Crowder on our 30-team league. That's the big industry league known as 30 Deep. It's been around forever. Uh, Right now, Connaughton looks like he's kind of in the driver's seat of that one. But whatever. Lakers, no LeBron, no D'Angelo Russell. They were able to hang in there with the Grizzlies for a long time, but the Lakers lost the turnover battle by 20. 26 to 6. The Grizzlies had 26 more field goal attempts than the Lakers in this game. You're just not going to win it, which is a damn shame if, you know, me, Laker fan over here, they actually got a chance to win this ball game if they just turned, like, Okay, if you want to get real wild and say the turnover battle was even, and the Lakers got 20 extra possessions? 
He scored 109 points on 86 shots and 23 free throws. So you give him another 20 more, they would have won this ballgame. That's what it was. This game came down to turnovers, and the Grizzlies were much better at taking care of the basketball. As far as fantasy stuff goes, Xavier Tillman, I made a last-second decision yesterday to pick up and stream Tillman in a head-to-head league once we found out he was starting against the Lakers. And I was like, all right, you know what? This dude's going to get this dude's gonna get rebounds because we've, we've seen that against the Lakers when they throw extra bodies at a guy like John Morant. Other guys are able to come sweeping in and get rebounds, and that's exactly what Tillman was able to do. Uh, and then they've got a back-to-back with Alperin Shengun is the next one on the docket. So who knows? They could go either direction at center in that one. But I was like, you know what? I think it'll be Tillman for both. I don't know for sure. So far, so good on that little mini stream. But I wouldn't pick him up tonight. It was only it only made sense on a back-to-back. As far as the Lakers go, uh, Dennis Schroeder, six of those 26 turnovers. That was the bad news. The 10 assists was kind of the good news for him. And he'll be okay as long as both LeBron and D'Lo are out. So you can probably stream Schroeder again tonight because uh, LeBron is out. And Russell is listed as doubtful right now, meaning I don't think we'll see him. I know we did a whole feature two days ago on how good Jared Vanderbilt has been, and then a lot of folks looked at this game and went, oh no, the sky is falling. The sky didn't fall, people. He played 29 minutes. 29 minutes is more than enough for Vanderbilt in every scenario, except games where he's getting offensive rebounds and then trying to go back up against Jaron Jackson Jr. That's the story of this ballgame. Jared Vanderbilt couldn't finish around the rim against the Grizzlies' interior defense. And he went one for six shooting on point-blank opportunities. For some reason, like, I watched this game from start to finish yesterday. Every time he got near the rim, he went to, like, a crazy reverse English layup instead of just trying to dunk it. And the only bucket he made was on a rebound that got tipped up in the air and landed right in his lap under the bucket and nobody else was nearby. He will be fine. Jared Vanderbilt will be fine. I bet he goes full. I'm just going to go hog. <laughs> just going to go. going to eat the whole beast here against the Thunder tonight. Because they don't really have any other options for energy guys. LeBron is out, so someone's got to soak up some of those minutes. And they'll get their points elsewhere. AD is going to do scoring. Beasley, Lonnie Walker, Schroeder, Austin Reeves, whatever. So if you're like, ah, oh, what about Rui Hachimura? He's just not good enough on defense to overtake Vanderbilt. I liked what Vanderbilt did in this ballgame. If he could have finished three out of his six layups, we'd be talking about 10 points, eight boards, and two defensive stats, and you guys would be like, great, Vanderbilt looked awesome. But he had four points, so everybody wants to throw the whole thing in the garbage. Please don't throw it in the garbage. Malik Beasley's a start. While D'Lo and LeBron are out, I don't know that he's going to have enough usage when either one of those guys comes back. We can kind of play it by ear a little bit on that front. Schroeder, I can pretty much guarantee, won't have value when D'Angelo Russell comes back. And then I got a lot of Austin Reeves questions. Um, I mean, it's hard not to love Austin Reeves because, first of all, his nickname is Hillbilly Kobe. They call him HBK. And he just plays with a certain swagger. And then he went for 17 points, 7 assists, a steal, a block, and 4 three-pointers in yesterday's game. But it's also worth pointing out that he hit 4 three-pointers in the first half alone, including a 4-point play. 
I believe that he had 15 of his 17 points at halftime. Yeah, he scored two points in the second half. It just wasn't the same thing. I mean, he's a dude who got hot. Um, yes, while both D'Lo and LeBron are out, he's possibly worth taking a flyer on, but I'm not super confident because if he wasn't lava hot, Darvin Ham's going to be mixing and matching here and just trying to find the right combo without any orchestrators on the floor. The Lakers were extremely competitive in this game without anybody that could really create their own shot. Sorry, Dennis Schroeder. I know you had 10 assists, but no. And then Reeves, kind of the other thing. And that's why the team had 26 damn turnovers, because they had nobody they could trust with the basketball. And I'm going to say something insane. With no D'Lo and no LeBron, this is actually a game the Lakers kind of missed Russell Westbrook. Yes, it was really nice to have Vanderbilt and Beasley as part of the mix. Sure. Um... But on this one night, and I wouldn't... Actually, I don't think it's going to be the case against the Thunder. But here against a Memphis team that can really ball hawk on defense, I think they missed a point guard who can actually get the ball into the front court. Now, Russ would have probably had nine turnovers in this game, but everybody else might have been able to combine for like four or five. Instead, in this one, they just kept trying to give it to everybody. Everybody was trying to drive because no one could get any space and everybody turned it over, over and over and over. I don't think that'll be the case against the Thunder. They are not a ball-pressuring team other than Jalen Williams, who probably has four steals in this one against, again, a Lakers team that can't really take care of the basketball without D'Lo and LeBron. Uh, but otherwise, I think you'll see, you know, far fewer issues in the turnover department. And then, you know, all the guys that we just talked about, Schroeder, Vandy, Beasley, maybe Reeves. And Anthony Davis is going to have to be huge in this ballgame as well. And frankly, he should be. Because if AD can do this to JJJ and Tillman, he should be able to do it to Jalen Williams and Kenrich Williams and whoever else the Thunder throw at him at the center spot. And Dario Saric. Doop-a-doo, moving along. Denver, blowout over Houston. You can throw out a lot of the box score for the Nuggets. It was nice to see that Jamal Murray, who was a game-time call, was fine. Obviously fine. 32 points in 32 minutes. That'll work. Nikola Jokic didn't even really have to play in this ballgame. I mean, this was like... This was the full... I'm not gonna try. Nikola Jokic. That dude has a real knack for knowing when he needs to crank it up. And this was a low-effort game. It was almost like he got a rest day. Jokic ho-hum triple-double, one of his worst games in like three months. Oh, Houston, couldn't you at least have put up a damn fight? Stinking Rockets. You suck. I need all of my Nuggets to go big. A couple of them did. Jamal went big. MPJ had a good ball game. KCP was good again. Do we need to do another Kentavious Caldwell Pope thread about how good he's been this year and how nobody's really noticed or cared? He's number 77 per game, and he just played in his 60th game of the year yesterday, which means he's number 44 by totals. KCP is actually going to quietly be one of the best late-round grabs in fantasy, especially on the head-to-head -head side, because he's just there. He's so freaking reliable. God, I love reliability. 
Anyway, what about over on the Houston side? Getting a lot of Tari Eason questions. Got some Eason questions on the YouTube show pre, before we hit the record button. Here's what it comes down to. You guys know I've said it 30 times at least on this podcast throughout this season that I adore Tari Eason's fantasy game. If he ever finds a spot, whether it's Houston or somewhere else, on a team that gives him 25 minutes or more, he's inside the top 100, which is pretty cool for a wing. Might even not need 25 minutes. He might be able to do it in 23. Yesterday, he got 31. But, but, here's the important part. We got to understand why. And, I know a lot of you are, the next thing you guys are saying is, hey, well, Eason's actually had big minutes in now two games in a row. Is this a trend, or is this an outlier? And I'm here to tell you that, unfortunately, it's a little bit of an outlier. Because, because, apologies, my microphone glitched for a moment there, because Jay Shante didn't play yesterday. And in the previous game, in Portland, Jay Shante was in foul trouble. Tyree Eason's minutes right now are directly linked to how much Jay Sean Tate is playing in the ballgame. And if you want to look back, look at the game uh, in Golden State against the Warriors, whatever that was, five or six days ago, where Eason got 23 minutes. Tate got 28. And if you want to look at the one after that, where Eason's minutes went up to 28, Tate, who was in foul trouble in that ballgame, played 25. Yes, if you're thinking, boy, it seems like the three to four minutes that Tate didn't play in one game went directly to Tara Eason, you'd be right. And then Tate didn't play at all in this most recent ball game. He'll play, sounds like he's back in tonight on the second half of Houston's back-to-back. But at that point, when Tate's 28 minutes or whatever he's playing went to zero, well, then eight or nine of those went to Tara Eason against his normal number. So I love Eason. I love his fantasy game. He's a double-double machine at the small forward, power forward spot. He's a steals machine at that spot on the floor. His game translates to fantasy extraordinarily well, which means he's always someone that we want to keep an eye on. Guys that can post numbers that quickly are guys that you want to be watching nightly to see if they're about to turn a corner. So what I would suggest is this. The short term, or the, the quick way of saying it in fantasy is speculative ad. You can add him, but just understand that tonight, Tate's going to be back in there, probably playing 26 to 30 minutes, and that probably pushes Eason back down to 22 to 24. Which is going to force Eason right to the very bitter edge of fantasy value, and you're going to be bouncing back and forth on whether or not you want to deal with it every single night. Sacramento, there's a whole lot of nothing going on with the Kings. Uh, De'Aaron Fox set this ball game out. Davion Mitchell had 15-4. and four. The last couple times he filled in for Fox, he was awful, so I don't think I'm going to do anything with it. Uh, but, of course, when Fox sits, that's when everybody else gets to do a whole bunch of extra stuff. And against an Oklahoma City th- team that loves to play fast, both of these teams love to play fast, this was a very nice spot to pick up some fantasy numbers. And for the Kings, 19 turnovers, or they could have actually done even more on the offensive side. For the Thunder, still no SGA. He's in COVID protocols now. Womp womp. 
Jalen Williams, he's a force. He's really come on this year. Moved into a bigger role when Alexei Pokashevsky and Jeremiah Robinson Earl got hurt, and he has just not relinquished. And then beyond that, you had kind of the carousel going here. I thought Isaiah Joe would get a bunch of shots up, which he did first couple games SGA missed. He only took five in this ball game, And maybe you can say that was Davion Mitchell on defense. That's eh, hard to know for sure. They, you know, Josh Giddy was quieter. You could probably say that was partly Davion Mitchell. I don't know. You know, the Thunder are going to mess around with lineups, see what fits. And really, there were like two guys that played well enough to see bigger minutes yesterday. It was Jalen Williams, who was a plus five. Kenrich Williams, which is a plus 14. And then if you want to extend it, Dario Saric got real hot off the bench. And so he jacked all the Jalen Williams minutes. Aaron Wiggins outplayed Isaiah Joe and so on and so forth. And so it all got discombobulated. Thunder play the Lakers tonight. My guess is that Isaiah Joe is going to get a bunch of three-pointers up against the Lakers because everybody gets up to play the Lakers. My guess is that Anthony Davis, knowing that they need to tread water here until LeBron comes back, he's going to pick on some big dudes on that Thunder side. I'd be pretty cautious about playing any big dudes. Jalen Williams is going to get a bunch of steals. Kenrich Williams is probably going to get a few also. But the guys I think I would play, uh, or guy maybe, you, you go Josh Giddy. You obviously go Jalen Williams. He's been amazing lately. And then you probably go Isaiah Joe and hope that he hits four or five three-pointers. That's kind of what you're banking on. Nothing for Indiana. I know Jordan Wara had a bitter ball game, but I don't really care. And then on the Dallas side, Christian Wood got hurt late in this ball game. It's still a little bit nebulous what happened with him. Probably would have played about four-ish additional minutes. Again, repeat myself, he's just a low 20s to mid-20s minutes guy now. Maxi Kleba came back. He'll be a 20-some-odd-minute guy. Dwight Powell can be a 20-some-odd-minute guy. Three-headed monsters are never good for fantasy. What do you do with them? Well, you don't pick up Powell. You don't pick up Kleba. And if you have Christian Wood, which meant that you didn't listen to me during my draft shows because I said he was way too polarized, the season could go so well, it could go so poorly, I didn't want anything to do with the, the wide variance. You guys know I hate, I hate variance in my fantasy drafts Christian was number 74 right now in 27 minutes per game so just extrapolate that and you could say if he plays 23 24 minutes he'll be a bit behind that mark that's the best way you can handicap it at this point Luca had a big one Kyrie kind of took a little bit of a backseat in this particular ball game and then Kyrie got a last second shot and couldn't hit it Dallas is slumping since they picked up Kyrie not surprisingly, when you mix two alphas, it takes a while to figure out how to fit them together. Who the hell's not slumping? I mean, it's really funny how if you just win three games in a row in the Western Conference, you go from out of the playoffs to above the play-in tournament. That's what the Warriors have basically done. I think they were what? Were they the 10? They were the 10 seed less than a week ago. They've won three games in a row now, probably because they've been playing home games. Warriors are 25-7 and seven at home. They're 7-23 and 23 on the road. Ugh. But they're now the five seed. The Clippers can't win a game to save their lives all of a sudden. The Mavs are tanking. The Pelicans have fallen apart at the seams. The Thunder without SGA, they can't win to save their lives. The uh, Spurs won a game yesterday against the Jazz, which we're about to talk about that one, so let's shuffle along. That's a terrible 
outcome for both of these teams. The Jazz now fall one game under 500. They had an opportunity actually to put a little bit of distance between themselves and the Pels, Blazers, Lakers, and Thunder, and they whiffed on it. Um, but from a fantasy standpoint, and then with the Spurs, I think you're starting to see these these sort of bottom teams. Spurs had lost, I think, 15 games in a row before this, so they've, they've more than done their part to get their tank on. The bottom three are now so far behind the fourth worst team, which right now is the Hornets, that you could actually see the Spurs... The Pistons and the Rockets not try to lose every single ball game. The problem, of course, is that the Rockets in particular, I don't know that they have what it takes to win a ball game, even if they're not tanking. The Pistons, not while all these guys are hurt at the very least. And then the Spurs, you might actually see them accidentally win a couple of ball games here because it sort of doesn't matter. They're not going to move out of the bottom three. So, whatever. Anyway. Uh, Malachi Branham left this ballgame early with some lower back soreness. <laughs> kind of felt like an opportunity to tank there. But the Spurs, no real changes here. I mean, this is... I hate repeating the same things every single time. So we're just going to Spurs lightning round it. Charles Bassey saw extra minutes because Zach Collins couldn't shoot. Bassey can be a watch list guy. Doug McDermott saw extra minutes because Malachi Branham went out early. You can't trust Doug because literally all he does is hit three-pointers and almost nothing else ever. Uh, Zach Collins is a hold. Keldon Johnson is a hold. Devontae Graham is a stream now, probably, with Branham out. Because I don't know if they'll have any choice other than to start Devontae. Although, Trey Jones sounds like he's close to coming back. Uh, I wouldn't start him in Roto his first game back. Head-to-head, Trey Jones is a guy that should be rostered and started. He was inside the top 90 when he was healthier earlier this year. Jeremy Sohan, points league type. Branham, when he's back, more of a points league type. Keldon Johnson, just above that. And that's your Spurs lightning round. Oh, and Devin Vassell, who may or may not surface at some point. But stash him in Roto, head-to-head, don't deal with it. Utah! Taylor Orton Tucker got 30 minutes. That was the thing I was looking for, to see if he would still get playing time, even as Chris Dunn comes on. Uh, Ochai Abaji, though, got hurt early, and that did have a role because that allowed them to go with both Dunn and THT. And everybody's hurt for Utah right now. Sexton's out for a couple more ball games, which means, barring anybody else coming back for the Jazz, that both THT and Chris Dunn can probably be streamed until Colin Sexton or Abaji come back. Or both, I guess. Walker Kessler, big game. Larry Markin in big game. Kelly Olynyk bad shooting game, but he'll be fine. I really think Olynyk could be a top 60 kind of range guy the rest of the way. He's just going to be out there a ton. And he's going to have to do stuff, too. Kelly Olynyk with a little bit of usage is chef's kiss. I guess I need to do it, right? Jaden McDaniels is, one of, is on one of his little heaters. He has these sort of up and down stretches where we've talked about McDaniels a few times this year. When he's good, he pushes himself back up. When he's bad, he pushes himself back down. He's been bouncing back and forth between... Uh, basically like 85 and 115 the whole year, and he's at 107 right now. He's really the the prototypical head-to-head guy that belongs at the very end of your roster and the roto guy where you kind of play him when he's hot. Otherwise, no news, no notes on Minnesota side. Everything else went pretty much as you expected here. Ivica Zubats came back for the Clippers, continues to hold off Mason Plumley for the time being. So keep Zubats for now. 
Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi didn't shoot the ball well. Russ had another decent fantasy game. Uh, but he... Man. I don't want to put more of the blame on Russ here than needs to be. But I also don't think you can call it coincidence that the Clippers have lost three games in a row since his arrival. And it's not Russ's play that's done it. Okay, let's try to make this extraordinarily clear. When we say, oh, well, it's Russ's fault. It's actually not Russ's fault individually that the Clippers are losing right now. Look, I'll be the first to put blame on Russ if he deserves it. And a lot of what wrong with the, what went wrong with the Lakers was the combination of Russ's play and his contract. His contract with the Clippers is nil. His play with the Clippers has been at least average, maybe even a tiny bit better than that. He took a bad shot down the stretch in this ballgame, a contested mid-ranger when the Clippers were trying to make a last gasp run. I don't think the Clippers are going to catch the Wolves and win the game anyway. I know I saw Clippers Twitter go nuts when Russ took a bad shot. But, you know, overall in this ballgame, he was no better or worse than anybody else on the team. The reason that things have gone bumpy for the Clippers is that Russ's mere presence has shaken up a rotation that had finally solidified for the Clippers. Norman Powell had his role carved out. Batum, Marcus Morris, Terrence Mann, Eric Gordon, who they traded for and now aren't even, even they're not even really playing him. All of these guys had a role they were excited about, the pieces were fitting together, and now the Clippers have just taken the puzzle apart. And they've piled all the pieces up, and they're trying to resort it. They have a little bit of time left to try to figure out what works, but they're at 64 games played right now. There's only 18 games left for the Clippers from this point on. They're a team that's played one of the higher numbers of games in the NBA. A lot of teams are at 62. Uh, some teams are at 61. Clippers at 64. So they got to figure out how all these pieces fit together in 18 ball games, with Paul George and Kawhi probably not playing back-to-backs. So I think a lot of the issues and a lot of the anger and, and annoyance around Clippers and in Clippers media circles is that they took something that was working and they decided to kind of shoot the moon and say, you know what? If we can figure this out with Russ, then we'll be better than we were before. But it's almost like they didn't account for how much chemistry stuff needs to happen when you bring in a player like Russell Westbrook. So again, it's not his fault. It's just the Clippers did something that, to me, was a dice roll that they didn't need to do. And so now you got guys like Norman Powell who are going to be kind of playing a little bit irritated because their minutes got thrown into the sun and Terrence Mann's minutes got thrown into the sun and everybody's going to have to sort this out and the locker room's going to be a little bit annoyed and if they start winning, that'll solve it but if they don't, it can get ugly. But for now, Russ is actually playing relatively well and from a fantasy standpoint, his role with this team is a pretty good fit for him. I still think there's no chance he has 9-cat value the rest of the way but 8-cat and definitely points leagues, you are looking at him. Goldstein uh, beat up on the Blazers. Uh, this is honestly a game that Portland really needed to play better in, and they didn't. Blazers are the 11 seed right now. 
they've been tumbling. Seems like they need Nurk back. They definitely need Anthony Simons back, but whatever. Let's look at it from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, Shaden Sharp played 31 minutes off the bench. He's close, but I'm not going to do anything with it. Drew Eubanks, kind of again, you know, back-end center stuff. I said I wasn't super interested in Cam Reddish despite him playing minutes, and this is why. Ten points, two boards, four turnovers. Matisse Thybul had a really nice ball game. I think it was a career-high five three-pointers for him. A steal and two blocks, and that's what you can expect out of him. Defensive stuff and anything else is just gravy. And then the Warriors did a good job on Dame in this ballgame. Combo effort for the dubs. Klay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green anchoring on the interior. Just kind of how they wanted to deal with Damian Lillard, and it worked out well. Which was, don't let him take 40 shots. Because the rest of these guys probably aren't going to beat us. They also slowed down Jeremy Grant. So, anyway. Uh, on the Warriors side, Dante DiVincenzo is a very obvious play right now with no Wiggins and no Steph. Jonathan Kaminga was a little bit better here, but I trust that about as far as I can throw it. And then Kevon Looney, not surprisingly, slowed down a bit with Draymond Green back. He was still fine, but, you know, no defensive stats. Carried it with a 7-for-8 shooting game more than anything else. And he's generally part of their stronger lineups. So, you know, schedule stream is probably the play on Kevon. Hey, mid-show here, before we pivot towards the uh, look-ahead portion of the proceedings, because we got a Wednesday card that's also of decent girth. Another nine-gamer here to uh, to look ahead to. want to remind everybody that's listening on the recorded side to come join us on YouTube for our next show. That's youtube.com slash sportsethos. I've been uh, trying really hard to make sure that our most recent videos get popped up on kind of that YouTube homepage. Uh, a couple of you did reach out yesterday about perhaps working a podcast here at Sports Ethos. I want to throw that back out there as well. You can hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just throw something in the YouTube chat if you're watching right now. If you are with us live on YouTube, like and subscribe. If you're watching it later on YouTube, go back and like and subscribe and do all that stuff to kind of continue to help us grow. And a reminder, mid-show, the baseball draft guide is available now at sportsethos.com. Click on the premium tab Choose Get Premium. Get Joe Orico's Baseball Ranks. They're coming out position by position. We've got Dynasty Baseball articles, sleepers, busts, all the good stuff. It is just $5.99 at sportsethos.com. And a reminder, as always, to the folks that are watching live on YouTube, throw your questions in the chat room, and we'll get to them after the show. Tonight, tonight, Chicago is in Detroit. Detroit, you're really just checking out who's healthy enough to take the floor. Otherwise, you know, because if Duran's not playing, which I don't believe he is, James Wiseman will probably have a little bit of wiggle room. If Isaiah Stewart's not playing, he's questionable, I believe, right now, then Marvin Bagley has some wiggle room. Sounds like Jaden Ivey's probably back, so Killian Hayes is not going to be able to do as much. What does that mean for a guy like Alec Burks? Because Isaiah Livers might be out. By the way, looked that up. Uh, watched a video from when he was back at Michigan. It is indeed Livers. Uh, if he's out, does that allow Burks to have a little bit more wiggle room? So it, Detroit is all about the game time calls today. Phoenix, big story there. Kevin Durant making his son's debut tonight. Will be on a minutes cap, not surprisingly. The word has come out that he'll likely be on a minutes limit. But, I mean, that's an obvious thing. Dude's been out for seven weeks. So, yeah. Uh, for, with a leg thing, 
no less. So my guess is he'll play probably about 18 to 20 minutes, which amazingly for Kevin Durant, that's startable in all formats because he's frickin' Kevin Durant and he's a top three fantasy play in starters minutes. So get him to 20 and he'll easily get inside the top 100. Hopefully this is the start of a delightful ramp up for him. What does it mean for everybody else? Well, today, not a lot. Because he's not going to play that many minutes. So when he's out there, he's going to try to get as much usage as he can swallow. Uh, but it's not going to be anywhere near the amount of stuff that he'll ultimately do in 30 minutes of ball game or 32 minutes a game or whatever. So uh, don't worry too much about the other guys on the Suns tonight. It will give us an indicator at least of who's going to the bench for Phoenix. I think. I don't know. I think it will be Torrey Craig because Josh okogie has been playing so unbelievably well lately. But... I don't know for sure. It could be Okogi moving to the bench. Today, you can probably continue to stream Josh Okogi. It's iffy, but it's probably all right. I do believe that once KD is fully ramped up and all of these interesting guys, all of them being Okogi and, you know, a smattering of dudes that probably don't warrant your interest, they get mushed into one spot on the floor. You can be like, oh, well, you know, Torrey Craig is just going to back up Kevin Durant. Eh, it's not going to be that simple. He's going to back up Kevin Durant, but he's also going to be playing some small forward stuff as well. And so that's going to take a little bit away from Okogi. You just push guys into fewer available minutes. And so, yes, I am concerned that Okogi's not going to have value once KD's fully ramped up, but I don't think you have to do anything about it now. This is going to hurt Devin Booker, I would argue, more than anyone else on the Suns team because he is the volume guy. His value comes from getting a lot of shots up at the rim, and there will simply be fewer of those with KD around. In a way where with Chris Paul, Chris Paul getting the ball, Kevin Durant, that's, we want him for his assists anyway. Uh, CP3's barely taken any shots. He'll probably still be part of that second unit. So not as concerned there. And then with DeAndre Ayton, they still really do need his interior force, but he probably loses a tiny bit as well. Maybe it's going to be on the rebounding side because KD's a pretty good border. That's a dumb word for it. Anyway, he's averaging about seven rebounds a game this year, so throw that in there. Uh, Torrey Craig, Josh Okoge, whatever, KD's probably going to out-rebound those dudes in the same amount of playing time there. Uh, Charlotte's side. No LaMelo the rest of the year, so we'll get our first look at the Hornets in the post-LaMelo era here. I do think Dennis Smith Jr. should be a pretty good play. Kelly Oubre should be pretty well ramped up. They're going to be fired up to face the Suns on KD return night. And the Hornets have won five games in a row. Those are obviously with LaMelo, but you get it. Brooklyn, New York. Battle for New York. Knicks have been playing a lot better than the Nets lately, which shouldn't surprise anyone. The Nets had this big, hey, we have all these really fun wings, and now it's kind of landing that they don't have superstar power on that team anymore, and they've lost three games in a row. And the Nets are just not that scary of a ball club these days. But they're going to get up for this one. Uh, defensively, the Knicks are good. Does that mean this is a game where they'll need Cam Thomas a little more? Maybe. I think they're going to need scoring. So we'll see. On the Knicks side, there really isn't anything at this point. You're just sort of watching to see. I kind of need the Knicks to lose a game or two. So then they'll be like, all right, Josh Hart, you can start now. Because as long as they're winning every day, they're probably not going to upset the apple cart. The apple cart is good at the moment. Philly, is this DeAnthony Melton's last stand? 
could be. Miami, Kevin Love, if he's starting, go ahead and start him. Crazy as it seems. Kyle Lowry, I believe he's still out for this ballgame, but apparently he's now getting closer. Oh, and by the way, uh, Anthony Davis just got ruled out for the Lakers as well. Yikes. What are you doing, Lakers? If you knew you were going to have AD for one half of the back-to-back, why wasn't it the one against the Thunder? I have no explanation for why Anthony Davis played against the Grizzlies in an unbelievably difficult game and is not playing against the Thunder. That's brutal. Ugh. Whatever, I'm going to take my rage to social media on that one. What are you doing? Anyway, hey, uh, guess what? Mo Bamba's in the mix. Because he's probably going to have to play a bunch of minutes. They could try to play Wenyan Gabriel a ton. Maybe they will. But Bamba can rack up fantasy stats pretty quick. Hello, new streamer on the board. Oh, that's an awful, awful set of circumstances. Yikes. Anyway, back to our look ahead here. Um, Cleveland, nothing. Boston, nothing. Orlando, does Jonathan Isaac come back from his hammy? Milwaukee, how many of the regulars are resting? Memphis, really just who's starting at center? Houston. Tara Eason, who we talked about a bunch earlier on, but, you know, again, I, I do think that comes down a lot to the Jay Sean Tate thing. Although, if this game turns into a blowout, maybe he gets in there. Lakers, well, we just added one more thing to the mix. No Anthony Davis, so more streamers. Schroeder is a stream, and Beasley's a play, and Vanderbilt's going to have to rebound his butt off, and Bamba's probably going to have a decent ball game, and the Lakers are going to lose a must-win game to the Thunder. This makes me... this. Oh, boy. This Anthony Davis... Resting against the Thunder instead of the Grizzlies thing kind of makes me feel like LeBron isn't coming back. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but if they really thought LeBron was going to return in three weeks, this would have been the game to circle. Lakers are right in front of the Thunder. They weren't going to beat the Grizzlies in Memphis. Good Lord, that stupid use of your personnel. Anyway, for OKC, we talked about them already. Uh... It takes a little bit of the shine off of this ballgame for them, I guess. But, you know, Isaiah Joe, he'll get some shots up. Uh, Jalen Williams, like we talked about. Giddy should be better here. Pelicans, uh, I don't see anything changing in a big way here. I still like Herb Jones. I still like Josh Richardson. And then for Portland, we saw uh, them yesterday in the Warriors game. Dybul, Dame, Jeremy Grant, Eubanks kind of right on the board. Or not a whole lot that we're watching outside of the stuff we've kind of already seen with those clubs. But... Oh, boy. Yikes to the Lakers. Yikes to the Lakers. All right. Well, that about does it. I'm I'm so mad right now that I can't even get to the end of the podcast in one piece. Oh, man. Recorded listeners, you guys are the best. We'll continue to talk to you daily. Back at you uh, tomorrow morning on Thursday. We'll break down this big Wednesday card uh, just like we always do. Tomorrow we might start to dig in on the long streaming stuff because you want to start to look at that if you're headed towards your playoffs starting next week we'll definitely do more of that stuff on friday as well and again join us over on the youtube side for all future shows we're having a lot of fun over there i'm dan vespers for fantasy nba today this is again a sports ethos presentation get a baseball draft guide you jerks and follow me on twitter at dan vespers d-a-n-b-e-s-b-r-i-s the post show continues on youtube to the recorded folks See you tomorrow.